Mark chapter 14. We'll start in verse 42. And Jesus is, in the last few moments, he will spend with his apostles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14 for a little while. It's, it's the third longest chapter in the New Testament. Uh, and it's uh, second longest chapter is Matthew 26. And they cover the same events. They're very similar in what they cover. And uh, I won't tell you what the first longest chapter is in the New Testament. You can, you can look at up after church, not during the sermon if you're curious to know what that is. But, uh, but, but Matthew 26 and Mark chapter 14 are similar. Also Luke 22 and John chapter 18 all cover these events. And they all have different details. It's important if you, if you want to study those this week, I would encourage you to do that. This, 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 everything that's going on here in the garden. Because if you read Matthew, Luke, John, and Mark, then you are going to get a few different different details that are going to help fill the story out a little better. Some different perspectives and some things that once you put them all together, it'll help things to make better sense. But we left off last week with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying with his disciples. He had took Peter, James, and John along with him a little further, and he had asked them to stay awake and be alert while he prayed and they fell asleep while Jesus prayed, and Jesus came back and said, Get up. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He, he knew what was about to uh, come their way, and Jesus was giving an example of, Hey, when hard times come, you need to be in prayer about it. Jesus was obviously uh, very prayerful about what was about to take place. He, he, was, he was horrified at what was about to take place, but yet he prayed, and he was asking his disciples to do the same, but they ended up sleeping on the job. And that's where we left off last week. So we will uh, read through the passage, then we'll pray, and then we will jump in. So Mark chapter 14, verse 42. This is Jesus speaking here. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as though I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple complex, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man, having a linen cloth wrapped around his naked body, was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I pray, God, that you would help me to, to preach and teach your word in a, 
in a way that's going to bring glory to you and it's going to help us to draw close to you, God. Get my mind focused and, and God, I pray that you just speak when I open my mouth. I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would help each of us to focus on you, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take control in this place, that we hear from you, God, that your word has an impact in our life, God, that we read about Jesus, that we learn about Jesus here, God, that we grow in Jesus today. And if there's not, if there's one in this room that has not put their faith in Jesus, that they would do so. So God, I pray that you just take control of this service right now. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will start at the end just briefly. Uh, and that is the last verse that we see here in verse 51 and verse 52. We See mention of this young man who was wearing nothing but a linen cloth and as he was grabbed when the, when the guards were there to arrest Jesus and he, he, he began to run and the linen cloth was pulled away from him and he ran away naked. That's a, that's a unique part of this story, an interesting part of the story and I don't know that it plays any real significance to the story and you may question why in the world is this detail there. Well, I'm really not sure why it's there, but the, 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 the most agreed upon uh, solution as to why this is there and what this means is it has been suggested by many that this man that's being referenced is none other than Mark himself, that this was Mark, the one who is writing this account, and it was he who was there whose linen cloth was ripped off and he ran away naked, but he didn't mention himself by name. And so uh, I wanted to just talk about that for a second because it may have uh, piqued your curiosity, and I don't know a good answer as to why that was in there or who that young man was. It is possible it was Mark, or it's possible that it was someone else, but it doesn't uh, play any major significance, at least I don't believe it does, in the understanding of this story. But we start off in this passage with where we left off. Jesus had prayed with his disciples, and then he tells them, get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. The time had come. The mission that Jesus had come to complete was about to be here. The time had come. Everything he had done was point people to the kingdom of God. He had done God's work. He had done the work of the Father. He had prayed up. He was ready to do the will of the Father. He had given his disciples all the instruction that he could give them. He had prepared them in just about every way that he could, and he was getting ready to go and give his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven. And it would not be long until the job of carrying out the kingdom of God and carrying out the gospel message would fall on these 11 who remained. But what about the 12? Well, Judas had slipped out a little earlier, we see as we go back and read through the stories. Jesus had slipped out, slipped out and left the group. And that's because Judas was getting ready to betray Jesus. And so as Jesus is in Gethsemane with the other 11 disciples, he knows that his betrayer is near. And lo and behold, his betrayer comes in verse 43. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived with him. Excuse me, arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And so Judas was prepared to betray Jesus. And he came with a, with a, with a small army, you may could say, prepared for battle, 
They came with swords and clubs. Now, this was foolishness, and Jesus even says so as we continue along. Jesus had been doing nothing but good ministry throughout the whole time he was around, had been doing nothing but loving and healing and offering grace and mercy. He was not a criminal. He was not a madman, as some had claimed. But yet they came at him like he was the worst of the worst criminal. With the clubs and the swords, they were prepared. Whatever they had to do, they were going to take Jesus down that night. They were going to arrest him. They were going to bring him in. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus' life was very public. Jesus was always in public places. He was always around other people. And we may wonder, why didn't they just arrest Jesus at any time? They could have arrested Jesus. Why in the world did Judas even have to betray Jesus? That may be a question you've, you've considered. It's a question that I've considered. I mean, it's not, like, it's not like they didn't know who Jesus was. It's not like he was, he was somebody that no one knew his identity. Everyone knew his identity. They knew what he looked like. They knew what he taught. They knew the things he had done. So why? Was Judas required to betray Jesus? Why was that necessary? Well, I believe it was probably necessary because of the large following that Jesus had. There were a lot of people that didn't like Jesus, but there were a lot of people that did. There were a lot of people who loved Jesus and followed Jesus around, and they believed his message. They believed what he said. But the ones that didn't like Jesus. They didn't want any conflict. They didn't want to stir up the crowds. We see that, that same type of language uh, as we read through the Scripture because the crowds were on Jesus' side. And so that really hindered the, the Pharisees and the scribes and these elders, these religious folks who hated Jesus. The fact that there were always crowds around Jesus and the crowds loved Jesus, it really hindered them from being able to arrest Jesus and and carry out their evil plan to get rid of Jesus and destroy Jesus. And so it's likely that Judas was necessary because Judas was close with Jesus. He knew those times and those places where Jesus would slip away, where those few moments that Jesus would get away from the crowds and be alone. And so here we are at night, in the middle of the night, with no crowds around. And Judas knew this. And the people that wanted Jesus killed knew this. And they needed a time to arrest Jesus when no one was around, when there wouldn't be any backlash, when they could quietly bring Jesus in and get their plan underway before folks really had time to know what was going on and stand in their way. And so I believe it is for that reason that Judas was needed because he knew where Jesus was going to be. And so Judas for a little bit of money, decided to betray Jesus. And here on that night, as Jesus prayed, and he stands there with the 11 apostles who had been obedient to Jesus and stayed with Jesus, here comes Jesus' betrayer. And it's none other than one of his apostles. And with him, he brings this group of soldiers with clubs and swords prepared to take Jesus in under any circumstance, at all costs, whatever it took, they were ready to bring Jesus in. In verse 44, his betrayer, that is Judas, had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
Now, I thought about this this week, and I suspect that you've probably thought about this too. Why in the world would Judas betray Jesus? Why would he do it? I mean, he had been around Jesus. He had seen the things that Jesus had done. Had he, had he been faking it all along? Did he not really believe Jesus was who he said he was? Did he not believe the message that Jesus said? Well, I can't imagine that he did believe Jesus. If he had believed Jesus and trusted Jesus, I cannot imagine that he would say, you know what, I'm ready to betray him. That he would, he would volunteer for the job to betray Jesus. The only thing that I can consider, and the scripture tells us this, the only motivation that there could possibly be that I can find at least for Judas betraying Jesus is nothing more than greed. It appears as though when we read about Judas in the scripture that greed was his motivation, that he cared about money. We see that in, uh, in the scriptures. In John chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, it says, Why wasn't the fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, what is that talking about? Well, there was a woman who had, who had, who had washed Jesus with this fragrant oil that was very, very valuable. And when this oil was used on Jesus, all of the oil, Judas spoke up and said, why wasn't the fragrant oil sold for this large amount of money? And we could have used all of the money from the oil and helped the poor people who are in such need. Now that's what Judas said, but we see something else about Judas as we read in John 12, verse 6. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Now, this is a pretty telling couple of verses about Judas here. He was a thief. He cared about money. And so it should come as no surprise to us that when the opportunity came that he said, Hey, I can, I can, betray, I can betray Jesus and I can get 30 pieces of silver for this. It appears as though Judas's only motivation for betraying Jesus was nothing but money. Now, perhaps at some point in time, Judas had genuinely followed Jesus and trusted him. But by this point in time, it is clear that he did not. If he would have believed that Jesus was who he said he was, if he would have believed the words of Jesus, then Judas would have never done such a thing. But it seems to me, and I, of course, could be wrong, that Judas probably didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And he listened to the words that Jesus said that his death would soon come. And perhaps Judas said, hey, well, this money train's about to run out. I've been stealing from the money from this, from this guy and what he's been doing for three years now. And my money's about to run out. I've, I've got all the good I can get from this. And so... I might as well get the last little bit I can from this guy before I move on to the next guy. Perhaps that was Judas's motivation. And so he goes and makes a deal with these chief priests and the scribes and the elders and says, I can take you to him. I can give you an opportunity. I can take you where there's not going to be any people in the middle of the night. I know where he's going to be, and I'll take you to him for 30 pieces of silver deal they said and so the plan was set into motion and as Judas was off making the deal and 
returning with the soldiers to arrest Jesus. Jesus prayed and as the soldiers came and he sees his betrayer and he knew who his betrayer was. And Judas comes up to him and says to the guards, the one I kiss, that will be the sign. He is the one. And Judas goes to Jesus and he kisses him. And he says, Rabbi, teacher, man, the boldness that Judas had, that he was about to betray Jesus and he comes to him. He doesn't just come to him and point to him and say, he's the one, get him. He comes and he kisses him. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. The boldness and the arrogance that Judas comes and he kisses Jesus. And he refers to him as rabbi, teacher. Man. And Jesus... Jesus says to Judas, we don't see it in this account of the story, but we see it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. And Jesus says to him, Friend, why have you come? Isn't that something what Jesus said to him? He says, Friend. Jesus knew who Judas was, he knew he was a thief, he knew he was a betrayer. He knew what he was coming to do. He knew that he was going to betray him with a kiss. I would have might have, I might would have said, "You scoundrel. You dirty rotten dog. You come and you kiss me and you call me teacher. How dare you?" Praise the Lord, I wasn't sent to be the Messiah. I would have failed. Maybe you would have too. That's tough, right? When somebody you love comes to you and they kiss you and call you teacher and betray you to death on a cross. And Jesus said, friend, why have you come? Now that's a good example for us to live by, brothers and sisters in Christ. If we say we are going to follow the example of Jesus Christ, we are to treat our enemies like our friends. That must have been a difficult moment for Jesus. It doesn't appear to be too difficult for Judas. But oh, the hurt that Jesus must have felt. A hurt that you and I may can relate to in some sense. What a hurtful thing when you are, when you are betrayed by a friend, by a family member. We see that in Psalm 55. We preached on this a few months ago. You may recall this passage, but we can't help but think about Jesus when we read it. In Psalm 55, verse 12, it says, Now, it is not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I could bear it. It is not a foe who rises up against me, otherwise I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion and good friend, we used to have close fellowship. We walked with the crowd into the house of God. Well, that psalm sounds a lot like what Jesus may have been feeling in that time. This is a psalm of David, but we can only imagine that Jesus felt something similar. If it would have been an enemy, if it would have been an enemy, it would have been easier than if it was his friend. 
a very, a very man that Jesus had poured into for three years and had loved and had taught and was preparing for something better that was never to be because Jesus knew what was going to occur. And Judas came, and with a kiss, he betrayed the Son of God. Verse 46. Then they took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his ear. Now, Jesus' apostles here, as all of these things came to be, when they went to grab a hold of him and arrest him, uh, it says that, that, that one of the apostles grabbed a sword and struck the ear off of one of the, the men who, were arrest, who was arresting Jesus. His name is Malchus, by the way. We don't see that here in Mark's account, but this is one of the parts of the story that you have to read all of the gospel accounts to get the whole picture. Now, it's important to point out that they came to Jesus' defense here because, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that they said, we are ready to die for you. And we, we are going to see soon that they are all going to run away. But at least for a moment, at least for a moment, they did have some boldness. At least, at least Peter did. At least one of them did. For a moment, there was some boldness to say, I am ready to fight for you, Lord. So I suppose we must give Peter and perhaps some of the other apostles credit for that. They did say, we will die for you. And at least in this moment, they were willing to stand. But it was a, a boldness to stand that was short-lived. And we see as we read the other accounts of this story what the Scripture says in John chapter 18, verse 10. It tells us that Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. But the story doesn't end there. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 52 and 53, Jesus said, Put your sword back in its place. Because all who take up the sword will perish by a sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, No more of this, Jesus said. And touching his ear, he healed him. Well, that's a pretty phenomenal story. Again, the enemies of Jesus who came to arrest him. As Jesus' disciple Peter chopped off his ear with a sword, Jesus said, this is not the way that we are to live. This is not the way that we are to act. This is not the way that this is going to take place. Don't live by the sword. Don't live by vengeance. Don't live by fighting and feuding. How are we to live? We are to love our enemy. We are to pray for those who persecute us. If our enemy needs something to drink, we are to give it to him. And if he needs something to eat, we are to give it to him. And the very enemy of Jesus, Jesus' greatest enemy in this world, in this life, was Judas. And Jesus called him friend. At the point of betrayal, Jesus called him friend. And even the ones who came to arrest him, Jesus said, no more of this. We're not fighting. And there was a soldier with his ear chopped off, you can imagine the pain that that must be and the blood that's there. And Jesus being Jesus never wavered for a moment. 
even in the deepest, darkest night of Jesus' life, he does what he's always done. He takes the man's ear and he heals his ear. I can't help but see the scene from the movie, The Passion. If you've never watched it, you should. It's a beautiful scene, a beautiful trail, portrayal. Who knows how the healing occurred, but we can only imagine Jesus touching the man's ear and it being healed. I wonder what Malchus felt when his ear was healed. I wonder if he continued on with the arrest or if he told the rest of them, nah, you guys go ahead. I'm done with this. That story is a good example that the people didn't really care about Jesus. They would ask him for miracles. They would ask him to prove that he was the Son of God. What more could he do? He had made the blind to see. He would caused the deaf to hear. He had brought the dead to life. And he restored a chopped off ear of the very one who came to arrest him. Right in their presence he did an unbelievable miracle. But it didn't stop them. They arrested Jesus on that night and took him to his fake trial. And he says in verse 48, But Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as though I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple complex, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus said, Why are you coming with all these swords and clubs and all this stuff? You know me. You've seen me. But he said the scriptures must be fulfilled. Everything must fall into place in the way that it has been prophesied. And in verse 50 it says, Then they all deserted him and ran away. The eleven apostles that remained were gone. They scattered. Just as Jesus had said. And there on the deepest, darkest day of Jesus' life, he was alone. Perhaps you can relate to that in some way. Perhaps there have been times where people have abandoned you, or at the very least you felt as though everyone has abandoned you, and you are left alone. But praise the Lord, God will never leave us or forsake us. God will give us the strength to make it through. And because Jesus trusted in God the Father, he had the strength, he had the will, he had the desire to follow through with his mission. And so just as in the garden, way back with Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world, a plan was put into place, was put into motion for sin to be dealt with. And the solution, once again, starts in a garden. It starts with Jesus. While Adam was a human who brought sin into the world that we all are cursed by, it was in this garden of Gethsemane that a new Adam would come, that a better Adam would come. One who would not bring sin into the world, but one who would bring redemption into the world. 
Jesus had a mission. His mission was to deal with sin. The sin that you and I commit. Sins like what Judas committed. We may look at Judas and we may say, well, what's so different between Judas and Peter? Judas denied Jesus, but after all, so did Peter. Well, I think the difference is, is that Peter never had any intention to deny Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. Peter desired to do what Jesus said, but he failed. Judas never appeared to have the desire to follow Jesus. He had the desire to betray Jesus. And there's a big difference there. Perhaps we see something similar in the Old Testament with Saul, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, and David. We may look at both of their lives and we may say, well, what's the difference between David and Saul? They both sinned. Why did Saul's situation get so bad and why was it so different than David? They both did horrible, sinful things. Well, the difference was that David was seeking God and failed. Saul failed because he was not seeking God. And there's a difference there. Now, as Christians, perhaps there are times that we are like Peter. Hopefully, we desire to live for Jesus. We are bold in saying we will live for Jesus. We try our best to live for Jesus. But there are times that we fail. And those times are called sin. But I hope that none of us in this room today are like Judas, who care nothing about Jesus, but only care about our own gain. When we seek Jesus and fail, that's one thing. But when we don't seek Jesus at all, that's a whole different problem. In some ways, however, we are not so unlike Judas. Because we have sin in our heart. Perhaps we have greed in our heart. Hatred in our heart. Anger in our heart. Hypocrisy in our heart. The question is, are we going to let it take control of us or are we going to take control of it? Because if we don't keep our sin in check, we will be no better than Judas. If we don't keep our sin in check, there will be nothing we cannot do. You may say about Judas, man, I can't believe he did that. I would have never done that. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure because when our sin gets out of control, there is not much that we won't do. That's what, that's what separates the Christian from the rest of those we see in the world the Hitlers of the world and the Judases of the world. We come to Jesus Christ so that our sins can be forgiven. We come to Jesus Christ and say, God, help me to battle this sin. God, help me to overcome this sin. I don't want to become that. And we must be obedient to God and God's word to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap as Judas. But the stage is set. Jesus is about to carry out what he came to do. He is about to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. If you've not put your faith in Jesus today, there is no forgiveness and no other. 
Let us not run from Jesus today as the apostles did in the passage we look at today. But let us run to Jesus. Let us seek Jesus for forgiveness and mercy and grace. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this good story, this good passage about Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help us to learn from it and to grow from it, dear Lord. God, help us not to let sin lead us to dark, horrible things like that that we see of, of, of Judas, dear Lord. Perhaps we are like Peter with a certain boldness, but also times that we fail. God, I pray that you help us to be restored. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his example to show us what it means to love our enemies. God, I pray that we would show such love for those who come against us. Maybe, God, we are not going to be arrested. Maybe we are, God. We don't know. But even if we don't face a situation like Jesus, God, we do have folks that come against us. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to live like Jesus and to be like Jesus. Maybe there's one in this room, dear Lord, that has been running from Jesus for a long time. God, I pray that today that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn to Jesus, that they'd put their faith and trust in Jesus, and that they would be forgiven. God, the very Savior of this world stood alone that night in the passage we read. But God, He stood alone so we will not have to. God, He stood alone so that He could be with us. God, so that we can call out to you, so that you will always be with us. God, maybe there are some who feel alone today. Maybe there are some who feel hopeless today. God, let them know that Jesus is there, that he has overcome everything that we cannot. And I pray, God, if there's one that does not know Jesus today, they'd put their faith in him. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.